tell you a little bit about Judy. Uh, she grew up as a belly, a ballet, not a belly dancer. <laughs> yeah, that too. That too. Okay. Uh, a bel- ballet dancing tomboy. Now, she came from an area called Toowoomba. Who knows where Toowoomba is? Oh, you Aussies. <laughs> I had to look it up. <laughs> I had no idea, so now I know, so that's great. She lived in Queensland. Um, and by the grace of God, he used uh, brave Christian friends and a praying mother-in-law. She obviously wasn't your mother-in-law then. No. No, because um, Judy came to know the Lord at age 15, which is wonderful. She married Chris in 1996, and together they have four beautiful children. Trinity 15, Zara 13, Toby 11, and Boaz 9. Judy also qualified as a teacher in early childhood education and uh, taught for five years at some Christian schools, both in Townsville and Nambour, before leaving to have her own children. In 2005, Chris and Judy, along with their two girls, moved to Melbourne in order for Chris to complete his theological studies here. He did those on what was the campus then called Bible College of Victoria, but we now know it as MST, and he studied there for three years. During that time, their boys were born. Um, Boaz was owned... Oh, sorry. No, their boys were born. Mm -hmm. And then Boaz, when he was five months old, Mm -hmm. you left for... For the, for the mission field, yeah. So they served in a church planting uh, mission in southern Poland for the next eight and a half years. So that's where Judy has been um, recently. They've experienced many challenges, obviously, in that country, uh, but they've also, also seen God's faithfulness um, as uh, a church was planted and established in the city of Apollo. Apollo. She says it better than I do. Okay. Um, In 2016, they clearly sensed God calling them uh, to release that ministry into the hands of the nationals, and therefore they returned to Australia last November, um, and they're still waiting on God's leading um, for the next season of ministry for their family. Now, Judy herself is really passionate about God's word Mm -hmm. and about the good news of the gospel. And I know that personally. I'm doing a Bible study with her at the moment, and I can see that passion in her eyes and that love for uh, ladies and young women in her life who she wants to teach and train and invest in. And um, I'm just really excited that um, Judy's going to speak to us tonight. One more little cheeky thing about Judy is uh, she loves to dance barefoot in the rain, so I'm glad it's not raining tonight, or she might be doing a little dance out there. She also likes running through the snowy fields of Poland, and she tells me she doesn't like to do that barefoot. She'd rather have her shoes on for that one. She also likes watching the news uh, about movies almost as much as watching the movie itself. So there you go. There's a couple of little things about Judy that you might not have known. But we're just so excited, Judy, and we just want to um, thank you for speaking to us tonight, and I'd just like to pray for you before you start. Heavenly Father, it's been so wonderful to be together and enjoy fellowship together. But Father, I pray now that you will quieten our spirits, Father, and that, Father, you would speak through Judy. Lord, bless her as she has prepared this message, and Use her to encourage us and to remind us of who you are. 
Father, I pray that as she speaks, you will guide her and give her the right words. We thank you for her and and for this time together in your precious name. Amen. Thank you. Julie, your glasses. Oh, no? I just don't want to knock them off for sure. And if this comes down, because I'm wildly gesturing, you can just tell people that I brought down the house. Get myself sorted. Well, it's wonderful to be with you. And for those of you who don't know me, I hope to rectify that soon. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to pray again. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you will come now in your Holy Spirit to speak to us by your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word is alive and active. And I pray that you will be magnified in our sight tonight, that we can glorify you more and more in our lives and in, in all we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, could I have that slide up there? Great. As Julie said, we've been living and working in Poland for the last eight and a half years, and during that time we came to love and appreciate the Polish culture and the people. One of the things that is a small bonus about being in Europe is that you get to have a look around. And one place that we loved to take our friends that were visiting was the city of Krakow. And in Krakow, there's an amazing castle that actually survived the Second World War, the castle of Wawel. And in Wawel Castle, there is a bell. And can we get that bell up? This bell here. It's called the Zygmunt Bell. The Zygmunt Bell was installed in 1521, and it it really is enormous. It's 9,650 kilograms heavy. It's two and a half metres high and three metres wide. Uh, This bell is rung on national days of celebration, and it's also rung on other special events in Poland. For example, it was rung when Germany invaded Poland in 1939, And it was also rung when Poland joined the European Union in 2004. So it's rung as a celebration, as a wake-up call, as a warning, and as a reminder. And I want you to try and imagine how um, clear that bell would ring out through the city of Krakow. It's the enormous strength of its tone. How long each toll would resonate. Can you almost hear it? Today, as we look at a passage from the Bible, it's talking about another sort of ringing out. Before we get to the passage, I want to do a little bit of a background, uh, set the scene for you. I'm going to be reading from the book of 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians was written to the church in Thessalonica, and these guys were doing it tough. It seems from the letter that they were very concerned that their faith was ineffective because they were suffering under immense persecution. On top of this, some of their believing brothers and sisters had died, had passed away before the promised return of Jesus. So the Apostle Paul was writing this letter, along with Timothy and Silas, to the church to reassure them, to encourage them that their faith was real and it was genuine. So I'm going to have the text up here uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 to 10. This is Paul, Silas and Timothy. We always thank God for all of you 
and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come or the coming wrath. Can you hear Paul's heart for these Thessalonians? He so loves them. He so wants to encourage them. And underneath every word of encouragement, there is a foundational truth that Paul is using. And that truth is this, that God has chosen them. Shelley, can we leave the text up for the whole time? Because I think it's good to have it there to have a look at when we don't have our Bibles in front of us. So if we look in verse 4, it says, For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul says that he knows God has chosen these Thessalonian believers because, and then in verse 5, he goes on to tell the specifics to prove why, how he knows that they are chosen by God. He's absolutely convinced, and he gives three reasons for this. He says, firstly, that their faith rings out clear. Secondly, that their faith rings out strong. And thirdly, that their faith rings out long. This is the evidence that their faith in God is genuine. This is the evidence that they are chosen by God. So firstly, Paul assures the Thessalonians that they have a faith that rings out clear. In verse 5 we see, the gospel came to them not only with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So what is this gospel? And I know most of you, many of you know what the gospel is. And it's, it's just lovely to remember and to look at it again. The gospel is that glorious news that God has provided a way of salvation through the gift of his son. That his son, Jesus Christ, suffered on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. That he overcame death in his resurrection and now he offers new life to all who will accept it. Now for these Thessalonians, it wasn't just a happy message. It was a life-transforming gospel. So how did the gospel change their life? Verse 5 helps us to understand this. The Holy Spirit, working through the Word of God, in, worked the Word of God into their hearts into their hearts and mind. And it was such a powerful work and it enlivened the word of God within them in such a way that it produced a response in them. 
And we see there it says it produced deep conviction. The Thessalonians were deeply convicted of their sins and they placed their faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross. By faith, they were born again by the Spirit and now they had a new life, a new life in Christ. And Paul talks about this new life a little bit more in Galatians 2.20 where he says, I've been crucified with Christ and I now no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The Thessalonians were living this life, Christ's life, now in faith. And our passage, if we can look in verse 9, we can just switch to that. It shows the outworking of this spirit life in in the Thessalonian believers. It says that they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. What a beautiful thing to see that this new life in Jesus had a practical, concrete and obvious change in, these li- in their lives. It was clear as a bell who they were serving. Now the second thing that Paul uses to assure the Thessalonians is that their faith rings out strong. Now we've just seen the change in their life was amazing. They turned from idols to serve the living and true God. And with that countercultural shift came the inevitable response. They were persecuted. In Acts 17, it has more of the story for us. Paul and Silas had come to the city and proclaimed the good news of Jesus and it had been so well received that the Jewish leaders of the time went mad with jealousy. A mob was formed to hunt Paul and Silas out and Paul and Silas had to leave the city. They had to flee. The danger was that bad. It was that real. But these Thessalonian believers had to stay in that situation, in that climate. And in verse 6, we read that they welcomed the message of the gospel in the midst of severe suffering. And later, in this letter, in chapter 2, Paul says that the Thessalonians suffered from their own people the same things that those churches in Judea suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. These Thessalonian believers were standing firm in the midst of severe suffering. Their faith was robust. It didn't crumble in the midst of trial, but instead it was resilient. It was undeniable and joyous proof that they were chosen by God. With the strength given by the Holy Spirit, their faith was firm and their testimony rang out strong. The third thing that Paul uses to assure the Thessalonians that their faith is real and genuine, is that their faith rings out long. In verse 3, you can see that they had endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were hoping in Jesus for something. Now, this type of hope is not a fingers crossed kind of hope. It's an absolutely sure kind of hope. So what were these guys hoping for? They were absolutely sure And they were absolutely waiting for, uh, in verse 10, you can see, for the the Son, Jesus, from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The Thessalonian believers were waiting with full expectation for this future hope. Paul writes about this hope in in Philippians. This is what he says. It's amazing to think about. Paul says, 
Not that I have already attained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I press on, no, I strain towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Thessalonian believers knew they'd been rescued from their sins. That's already happened. They were experiencing daily the rescuing of Jesus in the midst of their trial. And they were pressing ahead and hoping for the future rescuing of Jesus. He would rescue them from their mortal bodies and from the wrath of God to come. Since God had chosen these Thessalonians, their faith rang out clear. Their faith rang strong and their faith rang long. And our our faith must too. If you are a believer, God has chosen you and your faith must ring out clear. And moreover, we have the Holy Spirit within us that gives us the power to do this. So here is a question. It's a good question. What idols in your life have you set aside in order to worship the true and living God? When I look around our culture, there are many idols of our heart. I can see that idol of having a lovely home, having great food, movies, sport, work, family, Facebook, pornography, shopping. Which of these idols have you already set aside to worship the living and true God? Can you think of some? If you can, praise God. That's evidence that God has chosen you. It's evidence of Christ's work in you. Is there something in your life that's affecting your worship in the living and true God? Something perhaps that remains, that's interrupting the clear tone of your testimony That's an idol, and we have to deal with it. And in Christ, we have all the power required in order to do it. So what can we do practically? Here are some questions we can ask ourselves to identify. Is there an idol in my heart? And this has been really challenging for me to think about. I look around here, and being back in Australia, I have felt bombarded with the number of things that is available to pull us away from our devotion of Christ. It's actually a little bit overwhelming at times. So we can ask ourselves, where do I invest my time? Where am I spending my energies? Where am I spending my money? What thoughts dominate? And for me, that was a real key. What am I thinking on? These questions can help us Identify what might be drawing us away from the life of devotion of Jesus. As these things come to mind, I encourage you to share your struggles with a trusted friend. Get some help, ask for prayer. Maybe you could even talk to someone tonight or text someone if they're not here. In the next few days, let's plan practical ways that we can take those resources that we have been using 
in service of that idol and transfer them over to worshipping the living and true God. Again, ask, ask for help. You have the Holy Spirit within you. If you are a believer, he is with us. He is able to help us in this. And he certainly wants to help us in this. Since God has chosen you, your faith must ring out strong. When this new life of Christ starts sounding out from you, you will face persecution. The danger when this starts to happen is that we think something's wrong and that we've done something wrong and we have to change what we're doing. I remember I was thinking of this um, a few years ago. I was chatting to my mum on the telephone. Now, my mum's not a believer. And as we were talking, I suddenly realised that I was stopping myself from saying sentences that I would usually say. Sentences of worship or praise that I'd, I'd tell my believing friends and my unbelieving friends. Things that I would have in my normal course of conversation. But I was stopping myself from saying them because I was scared of my mum's reaction. Perhaps you've had that experience too, where you've actually experienced the, the joy of the spirit coming up in you or a word of truth coming into a situation and you've just swallowed it back because uh, something bad might happen. Or maybe you've been prompted into an act of love, an act of service for someone. But then you've gone, oh, probably don't have time for that today. Because you really do have time, but you're just scared that the reaction's going to be bad. Maybe they'll misunderstand me or they'll think I want something that, you know, I don't want. Let's not fear and avoid rejection, criticism or worse. This is something interesting to think about. It's a privilege to suffer with Jesus in this way. Let's start thanking God for that privilege. Let's ask and look for and cooperate with the promptings of the Spirit. He is in us. He is already guiding us and leading us into it. Let's move with him and share God's love and truth as he prompts and as he gives us strength to those people around us. Since God has chosen you, your faith must ring long for those of us who believe, we are saved from our sins. Right now, today, he is saving us in the midst of our circumstances. And it, one day, on the day, he will save us completely. As Paul reminded the Thessalonians, let me remind you, we have a sure hope in Jesus. And this is a little packed passage from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul says... For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And this is the last part of that passage. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. We all need this reminder, don't we? We all need this encouragement. So let me ask you another question. Who do you have today in your life encouraging you in this way to keep the big picture 
in the midst of the daily struggle to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Is there someone in your life doing that for you? Here's another question. Who are you doing that for? Who are you encouraging in that way? When you see someone struggling under the burden of their circumstance, how can we come around those people and encourage them? If we don't have anybody, and many of us don't, let's pray and ask God to lead us to those people. If you're not being encouraged, start asking God, Lord, I need someone to encourage me. Would you please show me who I can ask? And then be brave. Go to that person and say, could you encourage me in the Lord? Could you keep me, help me, slap me up the head if you need to, and, um, and keep me focused? Give someone the permission to ask those hard questions. Also, beautiful, beautiful, mature ladies in Christ, who are you encouraging? If you're not encouraging someone, I, I want to ask you, would you please pray? And ask God who it is that you would like to, who it is that God would like you to encourage. And let's remember our goal. It's the only goal worth living for. It's the goal worth dying for. It's the goal of our incomparable Saviour, our Lord and our King, Jesus. So, I'd like to pray for us all now. Our Father and our God, I thank you that you have brought the good news to us. We have heard your gospel, and for those of us who believe, we have had a life transformation. I thank you that you create in us a new life. And Lord, I pray that you will enable us and strengthen us to have a faith that rings out clear to those around us. Give us the strength we need to lay aside those idols, they're just not worthy of us as your children, to turn away from them, to worship you. You are worthy of our praise. Lord, I pray that you will keep us strong, strong in the midst of whatever trial we are facing, whether it's rejection or criticism or worse. Strengthen us in our innermost being, I pray. And Lord, I pray for endurance. I pray that our faith will not fade out, but it will ring long until the day, the day when we get to meet you face to face, and we will be completing you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Oh, yes, sorry. There's a little bell on your table. I'm a kinesthetic learner, so I always need something to fiddle with. If you'd like to take that home with you, Please do as a reminder to ring clear, to ring strong, and to ring long. If it's not your thing, you're a minimalist, just leave it on the table. (laughs) Thank you.